Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks in the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Labor Day week on September 3rd today. That means episode number 89 and just ahead. DocuSign talks about the ethical line it won't cross using customer data. Plus, why is work from home still challenging the internet search business at Yext? And we'll talk about an interesting company poised to profit from the massive supply chain problems in the shipping industry. We're going to talk railroads, Westinghouse air brake technologies with our good friend, Kim Forrest of Bokeh Capital. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more. All with an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And The Drill Down is available on all the major podcast platforms, including now Listen Notes. Check us out and listen notes. In fact, you can leave a note sharing your appreciation of this show to help us a lot. And we're also brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks in the move, and we've got news, the three most important business stories out there today with executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac? Corey, let's start with jobs. U.S. hiring slowed sharply in August, adding just 235,000 jobs, the Labor Department says. Economists were looking for a 720,000 new jobs added. That's not what they got. The blame is being placed on the surging Delta variant and as it dented the pace of the economic recovery. Now, we got to mention, though, also that job growth numbers were upwardly revised for July and June. All right, let's move on to Chevron. Chevron is preparing to defend itself about against a potential challenge from activist investors like the one that roiled ExxonMobil. Now, this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The paper says in recent weeks, Chevron executives met with representatives of Engine Number no. 1. That's the investment firm that led the successful fight to win three seats on Exxon's board. Engine Number no. 1, I should mention, is pro-environment. Um, now, Chevron shared some- pro-environment. Just some people do something about it. We'll see. Chevron shared some of its plans to reduce carbon emissions during the talks with Engine Number 1. Now, Engine Number 1 is considering whether to target a major oil company once again, and some investors have been in touch with the hedge fund about organizing a group to purchase Chevron shares. Chevron is a very different animal than Exxon, and Chevron has done a lot to uh, reduce their carbon footprint in everything that they do. They talk about it at great length in every conference call. I'm sure Engine Number 1, if they didn't know it before, is going to find that out. And, I, you know, from my perspective, there are a lot worse oil companies out there than Chevron who, uh, who have, and, and as it relates to their concern for the environment. All right. Now, this is my favorite story that I read today. It may not be the most important business story, but 
It's very fun. Well, don't say that. We did. We already promised the listeners these were the three most important stories to well, us. Promises sometimes get broken, Corey. I don't know you're what world you're living in. You're All right, now my heart. Now this is fun. Let's have fun here. Put a smile on that face. A newly revealed PC game called Whatever will give players a rough approximation of what it's like to steer a container ship through a tight canal. Now, what inspired this game? The ship Ever Given that got stuck in the Suez earlier this year. Now, Whatever is a small indie game is coming from a 36-year-old Bangkok-based uh, amateur game developer who hasn't made a game for almost 15 years. But uh, that Suez Canal blockage inspired this new game, Whatever. Uh, okay, Whatever, huh? Yeah. Not, uh, I, I, I don't see Lunar Lander or Tetris all over this one. Well, this is not new. There, are, there have been a number of these type of news-inspired games before, and this is the latest. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at DocuSign. DocuSign trades under DOCU. Shares have risen 27% over the past 12 months, and DocuSign's a big gainer today. What's going on? Yeah, so they reported earnings, and they were just super strong again. Uh, I, you know, so revenue of 50% over a year to $511 million, $112 million for the quarter. Uh, and uh, subscription revenue was up huge, $493 million of that. That's up 52%. Billings, which, you know, is money they haven't collected yet, but that's up 47%, super strong, um, 47% over last year. Um, just very impressive across the board. I got to say that, you know, I've known this company. I've known management of this company for a long time. I've known the company, the former founder and CEO, Keith Kroc, is a guy I've known, you know, for 10 years or so. I didn't know how big this business was going to get. It really is impressive what they're doing over there. Uh, they're right down the street from our uh, our studio here in San Francisco. And um, it was just another super impressive quarter. And one of the things they talked about, they talked about this agreement cloud and what to do with all of these documents that they have their customers or over a million customers signing and all the data they're getting there. And they're using artificial intelligence and using artificial intelligence to help their customers get the answers that they want and manage that data. But they, they're they also very concerned with the ethics of artificial intelligence and not letting these robots run wild to put some really strong guardrails around what's happening with the data in ways they will use and ways they won't use it. And I gotta say, I was really impressed by CEO Dan Springer uh, and and his comments in the conference call this morning about the ways that they just won't use data, even though they could, even though they make more money if they use some customer data, they're just going to draw a line around it. And there are things that they won't do, uh, even though it's possible to use that customer data in different ways. They just won't do it. Here's Dan Springer. One of the things a lot of people ask about is, would we be able to figure out a way to leverage all the agreement across our different customers to offer different kinds of services uh, to people? We're super sensitive about that. At this point in time, we are a B2B software company. Our job is to serve our customers. Taking their data for some other purpose is not on our roadmap in any way. I agree that there's sort of a, a lucrative sounding opportunity there, but at this point when we talk to our customers, they say, we'd like to use our data ourselves, thank you very much, and like you to um, you know, make the good living you do off helping us be successful with our business, not sort of extract that information uh, to use uh, in, in another way. I would tell you the one exception to that is when you think about the way we train our models, particularly around things like artificial intelligence, the fact that we have lots of customers, you know, over a million customers now, we had 13,000 new direct customers alone in this last quarter, we're going to get more and more people using our models. That is going to allow us to do better 
learning on those models, which will, of course, be a benefit, of course, across all of our customer set. But to the specific data, we're not going to take our customers' data and use it for other purposes. So kind of strong statement there. And I think maybe more importantly, a place where, you know, you've got to think about the ethics of, of what happens when you turn these artificial intelligence machines on, what data they're going to get, what conclusions they're going to reach, and what the impact will be on both your customers and your business and the society at large. I'm pretty stoked here, Dan Springer, talking about that. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Yext. Remember Yext? Oh, I remember Yext. Uh, a good interview we had with the CEO a few months ago. Yext trades under Y-E-X-T. Shares have fallen 27% in a year. So what's happening with Yext? So a super interesting business in the world of search. They reported a quarter that was, I don't know, not massive growth, but pretty good for them. 11% revenue, uh, revenue growth year over year. $98 million, a customer account up 23%. The Yext, uh, for listeners who missed that show, and I encourage you to go back and check that one out. In fact, I'll tweet out the link so people can find it uh, at Corey TV and at Drill Down Pod. But um, uh, Yext provides kind of custom-made solutions. You know when you do a Google search and you search for something like, who's the CEO of the Yext? And, the, and a big you know 24-point uh, type pops up with a picture of the person not even the first linked result, but an actual answer. So that's their uh, their listings business that's been very successful for them. But the thriving business that they've got, the business that's got a lot of hope is their answers business, that they will be able to contextually using artificial intelligence um, uh, provide information when you go on a chat bot that you're looking for. So if you go onto a, an airline's website and say, how can I get a receipt for my flight from June? It will automatically provide you an answer with a link to Here's how to request a receipt from an airline. I mentioned this because I was doing this at 11 o'clock last night. Yeah. Get some sleep, Johnson. That sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, it's so much fun. Just a lot so, of fun. Um, that answers business. Uh, there was hope that this would kind of reaccelerate growth and cause the company to raise guidance as they were looking forward. And that didn't happen at the conference call this morning. And what was interesting to me was uh, uh, it wasn't the CEO that was talking about it so much as a chief revenue officer, a guy named Dave Rodinsky, was getting questions about, you know, is this, is this, you know, they talked about a slowdown in, in Europe and Japan, which they blamed on the Delta variant, not in the U.S., which I thought was interesting. They also suggested that their customers, the tech companies who use them for chatbots and search results, weren't prepared for working at home in the second quarter of 2021, after we've all been working from home for a year and a half, I'm huh? just going to let you listen to what Dave Rodinsky had to say on the conference call this morning. And uh, I, I, I it has not been my experience that tech people were not prepared for uh, working from home in the second quarter of 2021. But that's what he said he was seeing. And the customers really wanted to meet them in their new fancy office building in Manhattan. Uh, and that level of engagement, he, he says they need it in person or they're not going to get the sales. Yeah. So here's what we're seeing, you know, we still have a very high level of activity. Uh, we have a lot of interest. We have a lot of customer engagement. Folks are talking about it, but if you think about if we re rewind a year ago, I would say most every software vendor was better prepared for work from home. Our customers weren't. Most of them didn't have setups at home, might have had to navigate the challenges of having children at home, had to get themselves set up, weren't accustomed to working remote. The world's changed. They are used to it. 
And I think what's happening now is the, le- the reason we're having a high level of, of, of engagement, a lot of it is in person. They want to get together. And I will tell you that we have this gorgeous brand new building we opened up at, or with our headquarters, and we've got several really, really important meetings that we've been having there. We have this executive briefing center. We've had a number of customers come in. They can't wait to get in there. Uh, the level of enthusiasm has been terrific. And so we've seen this engagement quite a bit. Are they talking about it? Yeah. Uh, but I haven't seen them hesitate in terms of engaging with us, wanting to meet, and quite frankly, using our headquarters as a venue to get together and have some of, you know, have some of these conversations. So it's been pretty encouraging. But, yeah, they do talk about it. And, you know, it's, we're not out of the woods yet in terms of what the world's faced with. And maybe that was a, you know, a warning about what we're going to see in the jobs report, which I think was coming out simultaneous to those comments. Uh, but again, I, you know, I was surprised by the, the them facing difficulty with, with Delta or whatever it is that's slowing down their business. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Joanne Fabrics. Recently IPO'd Joanne Fabrics. Joanne Fabrics. There is a Joanne Fabrics near my home. There's a million. They're all over the place. Yeah, we 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 go there probably once every two months. Uh, trades are J O A N. Shares were trading around seventeen bucks a share in June. Now it's below eleven. Yeah, this thing has gotten rocked. Um, and it came out. It was a private equity backed company that came out and did an IPO. Didn't collect proceeds from the IPO. It all went down to kind of start to pay down and restructure some debt. Um, the lockup from one of the biggest shareholders comes off in the next couple of days. That scared the market a little bit, as did these results today. So the question here, like so many companies, is, okay, things were great for you during COVID. A lot of people were sewing during COVID. They were doing things at home. They were buying fabric. And Joanne Fabric uh, has a pretty sizable market share by some estimates. About 50% of all fabric sold to consumers in the U.S. comes from Joanne Fabrics. But, you know, now they're saying after the IPO, like, Oh, yeah. Well, about that growth that uh, when they did their IPO roadshow, they talked about an algorithm for the growth. They expected to be two to four percent every year for as far as they could see. And and did they still believe in that algorithm? Are they still feeling good about that algorithm? And was COVID actually just a one time event for this business and time for them to take it public? And maybe not something we can count on. Or is the algorithm still good? Here's CEO Wade Mickelen. You know, last year, I mean, obviously, COVID was a tailwind for us as you had PPE and more people getting into our space uh, and the like. Um, I think we're at that wonky space right here. I don't think it's getting worse, but we're actually getting, you know, only, you know, headwinds from it. Again, from um, select closures, people being a little bit, you know, we see curbside spiking a little bit, you know, have anxiety about going out. And again, these businesses, 20% of our businesses actually, you know, blossom when the world opens up. So, um so all that said, um, no, we're feeling we're feeling very good about that algorithm. Uh, the algorithm is still good. It's just not showing up in the results. That's why the stock sold off so much again with that impending uh, share, uh, you know, potential, you know, monsoon of of selling from the uh, the private equity partners that they once had. A lot of algorithm talk in the show today. Yeah, why not? We like some math. That should have been our Friday drinking game. DocuSign. I'm sure I'll, I'll mention an ex-girlfriend soon. <laughs> oh, good, good. Because I'm thirsty. Soon. I'm really thirsty right now. All right. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk about what's going on in the world of shipping. Every company we've been talking to 
has talked about the bottlenecks in the world of shipping. One company in the railroad business is actually set to benefit from that Westinghouse air break. We're going to talk to one of our favorite guests, Kim Forrest of Boca Capital. Uh, we'll talk about the railroad business when the drill down continues. But first... The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, joining us right now on the drill down, one of our favorites, Kim Forrest of Boca, joins us with an interesting company that I had never looked at before, and I love it when that happens. Wabtech, or as they'd say in Pittsburgh, where you are, Wabtech, Wab. or in Rochester or Chicago. Wabtech is a former Westinghouse, what is it? Westinghouse Airbrake. Uh, interesting company in the railroad sector, a giant $16 billion company. Um, tell me about uh, this company and what they do. Sure. Well, they were started by George Westinghouse. So Pittsburgh had a bunch of companies, including, um, and I know this kind of sounds like every town wants to be the first, right? But we did have one of the first TV stations here. We are a very confusing little radio area because we have um, uh, radio letters that begin with the letter K. We have KDKA and KQV and W. So if you're on the east side of the Mississippi, you're supposed to be all W's, but we were one of the first places that had any radio. And again, this is all brought to you by Westinghouse because he was intensely in, interested in things that used electricity because he, he was somebody that had done that, right? Uh, created electricity plants, so let's use it, he said. But he also was very concerned about safety and had this idea to create pneumatic brakes on trains. And I can feel your people going to sleep now, but don't, don't. This was a huge technology thing in the back in the day, around the turn of the century, and it saved many, many people because they couldn't stop trains reliably. But this let it um, come to a grinding halt whenever you needed it to. So think about uh, that. But literally, yes. Um, uh, and Westinghouse Airbrake uh, still dominates that business. And, you know, arguably nothing's more important to uh, the movement of goods in this country uh, than railroads. Right. And it's even getting a green or ESG play because you can very efficiently move a whole lot of stuff on a train. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm excited about um, Westinghouse Airbreak or Wabtec now, now I'm really self-conscious saying Full disclosure, I was born in the Midwest, grew up in upstate New York, and the long gays are, are, are okay. something that has, has cursed me. And I've, I've, I used to do a stock market report, and I'd say the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 100 points. The NASDAQ is up 20. <laughs> and, I, and they would say, what are you, NASDAQ? Well, maybe it was my microphone. I've, I'm, I've been trained not to say it. So let's just okay. call it Westinghouse Airbreak. Okay. Um, no, that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll live in that nasally thing. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. They are a technology company at some point where they're doing a whole lot of work in positive train control or PTC, which has been mandated by the um, 
uh, National uh, uh, Safety Board, right? Right, exactly. I, I, you know, acronyms. Just and we've seen, like, and we've my seen head uh, Warren Buffett talks about this quite a bit because of of the big holdings of railroads uh, at uh, Berkshire Hathaway, and right, how this more this uh, uh, better targeted uh, safety measures on the railroad tracks will lead to a lot more rail uh, uh, spending and usage. Yes, well, it's that, and. I mean, is it obvious? Am I just alone here thinking, of course, it should. they should have autonomous trains. Like, there's a whole lot less problem to solve. You, you're, they're going on rail. You know where they're going to go. You know about when they're going to show up. And then you have all these signaling systems that should be able to talk to the train to say go or no go. That's what the positive train control does is um, trains, oddly enough, sometimes run into each other because people aren't paying attention. So to automate this whole thing seems like a no-brainer, and um, I, I'm just really encouraged that a company in Pittsburgh that has not only autonomous cars, but they should be moving in that autonomous train area, too. Seems like a no-brainer. And they are. And they are, yeah. So at the same time, we have this really interesting development in the world of railroads and precision scheduled railroading, PSR. Mm -hmm. which has led – it's essentially a logistics change. You can correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but as I paraphrase, it's essentially a change in the logistics and the way that um, uh, cars are essentially cleared out, connected to new trains, and moved out, um, essentially making trains a lot longer. If you're in one of those places where you're unfortunately waiting for a train to go by and it seems like it's taking longer than it ever has, it is. The trains are getting longer. Um, this precision railroading, uh, precision scheduled railroading, um, has led to – a decline in the number of cars needed, at least in terms of the growth. Um, and that seems like it's been a real um, headwind uh, to the growth of Westinghouse air brake. Right. And well, some of what they have done, actually, all the companies that I've presented on this show have uh, several things in common. They have really great management, which we'll get to in a while. They have um, uh, started it with like one product line generally but then they've grown through acquisition. And that is what um, Webtech has done really, really well, because they've done a whole lot in the freight, which is what we're talking about, the freight train area. But they also expanded via acquisition into transit, which that's your subway cars and buses. And that's the so, transportation acquisition essentially doubled the size of the company last year. Exactly. And then they went back into big time freight. But here's what they're also doing. Not only are they making the trains, but a lot of their little pieces and parts that they've acquired are also now they can like self uh, supply. So uh, GE was one of their big um, customers, but now they own that. They're their own customers. So, and they are passing those savings along to their customers, but it also makes them a much more efficient company. And you're seeing that in their cash flows. It looks like they've also got a software business that helps sort of implement this positive uh, train control um, uh, growth business, a safety business that, uh, yes. that all the railroads are trying to institute. Yes, well, they're mandated to institute, but I think they're going a step further. And you alluded to it with the um, change in logistics and change of thinking about what a train should look like and how the cars should flow through the system. Um, they are trying to maximize the, or minimize the amount of fuel, too. So that's another thing that positive uh, train control can do is allow you to really understand the terrain you're going over, the speed that you should use, and thus save lots in fuel. 
What do we think about the future of electric trains, something they've also been working on with BNSF? I think it's, I think it's a thing. I think, you know, the, and it's probably easier because they can control when these trains go, right? Like that's part of the problem. If I think about, oh, I don't know, I'll be Midwestern. Tractors that um, farmers use, you know, they, they use them heavily. Just to be clear, we grow more food in California than they do in guys right around you. But please, so we got farmers everywhere. Go ahead. Right, but for whatever reason, I guess I, well, I like gardening. So I think about farming sometimes. There you go. And I, I just know that electric, um, John Deere isn't going to go electric anytime soon because charging is just too problematic. The, the battery size is too problematic. But I look at trains and both of those things are solved by the ability to control and to rotate those, you know, the batteries as needed. I, I think that we could see freight trains um, not burning uh, diesel fuel in relatively short order. So that's super exciting, both for Wabtech that could provide this and, you know, the rest of us that breathe air. Right. And Wabtech working with uh, GM uh, to on lithium battery and hydrogen fuel cell technology for for autom- for locomotives. And it's, it, it's, it's very interesting that GM is becoming a battery leader here. Yeah, kind of crazy. Um, Almost makes me want to buy it. Oh, yeah, maybe. Um, so what... Uh, when you look at this, do you do you look at sort of the the industry headwinds uh, caused by this um, uh, precision scheduled railroading uh, concept as kind of one time in nature, and then growth can kind of start again, and maybe we're through most of that? I do, and uh, you know, COVID probably didn't help either. There was a whole lot less, uh, especially industrial stuff, which is usually carried by trains being shipped, um, and. This is a probably once in a lifetime change in how the railroads are doing business. But I think it keeps them um, very much uh, in in the logistics game. And they have to do that. They have to keep up with technology. What about coal? Coal is such an important um, uh, piece of the train, um, uh, the railroad um, equation. And declining use of coal uh, affects the way the because you know coal tends to flow downhill, which is which is a, a good use of the trains uh, before they want to turn around and take goods uphill. Right. Well, you know, as much as we like to think that coal isn't a thing anymore, coal really still fires a whole lot of um, uh, electric plants all around the world, including a lot in China. Um, but it's also used, especially the coal that comes out of Pennsylvania. I feel like I'm the <laughs> the, the cheerleading You're a homer. department. It's okay. We all I, are. I, I a know. Little bit. I know. Okay. Uh, but anyhow, um, a lot of that is met coal, which means that it's used in steel making. So there is electric steel making, but it's not terribly efficient and it's not terribly um, environmentally friendly. If you think about how much more electricity you need than to burn some coal that's been hardened by the coking process. But um, so, you know, for the foreseeable future, we're still going to have coal. Those loads have gone down way much over the last 10 years. So we're probably at a a sufficient run rate if you're looking at railroads and how much they carry coal out of areas like ours. So what is the, the, the big kind of growth thing? Is there anything that's, that's not slow and steady when we look at these numbers that might accelerate the growth? There are, well, transit, you know, um, 
up until they bought um, GE, about half of their revenue had been from transit. And we see in the uh, the big um, infrastructure, infrastructure bill, bill yeah. that there will be some spending there. So that that is why they moved into transit is to kind of soften um, the big shifts that happen or the big orders that happen in uh, in the freight uh, side of their business. So um, now that they bought GE, they are kind of more heavily weighted towards freight. And it wouldn't surprise me once they digest this, that they do some sort of other acquisition that brings them more into balance with transit versus freight, because it does set to balance the load. The other thing is they have a lot of um, service contracts to repair their rolling stock. So that helps too. Uh, so you, you're already looking for another acquisition. It's not going to scare you that sometimes like, these guys have borrowed a lot of money to make some big acquisitions in the past. No, I mean, I look at the cash flow and say, look at that. It's increasing. They uh, Their costs are coming down and they can pay for it. It's what I wanted to see, especially in this sort of um, industry. Now, if you're a software company and you have to borrow all the time, that's not good. That's <laughs> what are you doing? Right. Um, but yeah, for this industry, I'm okay with debt. All right. Well, fascinating company indeed. We'll look at those debt numbers in a minute when the drill down continues. But Kim Forrest from Boca, we really want to thank you. Appreciate your time. Go Penguins or whatever you got. Next season. There's always next season. Yes. You've always got Sidney Crosby. Uh, we're <laughs> glad to have you, Kim Forrest, uh, joining us from Boca from a great uh, state of Pennsylvania. Are coming up next on the drill down. We're going to talk about that debt that Westinghouse Airbreak has managed to amass. Uh, it's a big number. What is that number? We'll have that drill down bite when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you'll listen to The Drill Down every day. That's a lot easier when you click the subscribe button and follow us. That way you can download every show and won't miss a single episode of The Drill Down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Right, we're back with the drill down. We've got that drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We talk about the debt at this company, Westinghouse Airbreak. We mentioned that it's got a $16 billion market cap, but it's also got $4,079,000,000, or call it $4,079,600,000 uh, in debt um, to pay for those acquisitions, specifically that GE acquisition, but that did in fact double the size of the company, Isaac. So it's uh, it's interesting as rail gets more important, and I think that infrastructure spending bill probably is going to push a lot more money towards this sector. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you for listening to the Drill Down. We appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer, our editor extraordinaire, Ben Wilson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.